The Hispanic population in the U.S. reached more than 60 million in 2019. That's 18% of the total population. Hispanics make up the second largest demographic group after whites and are the second fastest growing demographic group after Asian Americans. On this episode of the podcast, we'll be chatting about how organizations can engage in healthy ways with their Hispanic employees and stakeholders. I'm Ashley Marchand-Orm, and this is Future Fluency, a podcast by the National Association of Corporate Directors, where we explore the changing face of America through the lens of innovation and culture and their impacts on business. We're chatting today with Eric Lopez from the Hispanic Association on Corporate Responsibility, or HACER. He works in part to help companies understand what it means for a company to be good for Hispanics. I'll let Eric introduce himself. My name is Eric Lopez. I'm the Director of Corporate Accountability over at the Hispanic Association on Corporate Responsibility. Professionally speaking, I've been in D.C. in in the D.C. metro area since 2011. Well, actually more than that. And since being here, I started off at the Office of Management and Budget on the Obama administration and have since gone into the nonprofit world and uh, been serving the Hispanic community ever since. Great. I'd love to start by talking a bit about why it matters now more than ever that a company is good for Hispanics. Absolutely. You know, the truth is that the demographics of this country are changing. Um, Customer bases, talent pools, leadership, they're all going through some kind of shift. And uh, the U.S. population, the U.S. Hispanic population is actually now at 61 million. This is a recent Pew um, demographic number, um, which is 18% of the population. And that number is going to continue to shift and change and likely grow over the years. Companies that will do well today and tomorrow will be those who are adapted to these changes. The Hispanic Association of Corporate Responsibility, or HACER, focuses on Hispanics, but the truth is that companies have to be more inclusive across the board um, with all groups um, that are participating in their companies. Diversity and inclusion challenges are, you know, one of the areas that the country is currently focusing on. Key stakeholder groups deserve and need to be engaged by company leadership in order to um, grow successfully within, within the current environment. And Eric, I know that your organization, Hacer, created what it calls a corporate inclusion index to help understand that question around what makes a company good for Hispanics. Can you tell us a little bit about that index and what actually does make a company good for Hispanics? Absolutely. So the heart of the index is a survey that is administered annually to Fortune 100, Hacer corporate members, and other companies interested in participating in the survey. Since 2009, we've been collecting uh, information on companies' diversity and inclusion practices across four pillars, so employment, procurement, philanthropy, and governance. And to date, we have the information of over 100 companies that have participated since that time. In all four areas, it all comes down to culture. I'd say that there is an internal culture which actively seeks out to understand and find solutions to the challenges with their practices. And companies that are doing that seriously and have been doing it for some time are the ones that we see are most successful in these four areas. Are there any specific practices you can point to that companies do that are good for Hispanic employees? 
Yeah, absolutely. There are. One of the things that we have seen as an organization, particularly collecting this data for, for over 10 years now, is that, you know, companies that A, set goals and B, keep track of those, of their performance towards meeting those goals are the ones that are doing the best. I think a lot of companies actually know that there's an issue and what the issues are. We are all talking about it. We're all talking about being more diverse, being more inclusive. We all know that that's something that is needed and needed to change and, and, and be improved on. But I think that what's lacking is knowing exactly what that means at the individual company level. So what practices within your company are either helping that process or hindering that process. A lot of companies don't know because they're not tracking the information at the level that they need to, whether that be, you know, how many interns you're recruiting and where those interns are coming from. Are you going to minority serving institution or Hispanic serving institutions to recruit your internships in order to improve that representation? That Those are the kind of metrics that matter in terms of, you know, not only determining how well you're doing, but how much you should be improving. That goes for recruitment, uh, retention, uh, whether or not you have a Hispanic ERG or employee resource group at your company, and how involved that employee resource group is in different aspects of your company's operations. Do you or does HR consult with the uh, Hispanic ERG to find out what's working for Hispanic employees at your company or what's working in terms of recruitment? What is making employee, employees hesitant um, to either stay or come on board within your organization? Those are the kind of solutions and answers that I think a lot of companies have yet to leverage. And I feel like tracking is super practical. And one important focus of the tracking can be retention. It's not necessarily just recruiting Hispanic talent, but how you retain those employees over time so they feel like they can stay and invest in your company as you invest in them. That has been uh, something that has kept companies from participating in our survey sometimes. And it's like, we're not ready yet. We get the sense that companies want to feel like they'll pass the test um, before they take the survey. Um, and there are two things that have, we, we have discovered from that process and from, from those interactions. And that's A, you know, sometimes companies are doing something right and they don't know they're doing it right because they're not tracking. First and foremost, measuring is one of the most important things a company can do to figure out or find out what their diversity inclusion practices look like. And, you know, one of the things that have kept companies from uh, engaging us in particular with our survey has been the fear that if they measure or if they look at their practices, they'll find out or, or, or we will find out that they're doing something wrong. But based on our experience, a lot of companies are actually, their outcomes are looking pretty good. Even if they don't have the practices to support those outcomes, even if they don't have a program specifically geared towards, say, diverse internships, their internship representation can be very good. And so it's important to still look at what you're doing in order to figure out um, not just what the numbers look like, but what, why is it working if it is working or not in some cases. So it doesn't mean that there's something going to be wrong. Just because you measure something doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It could very well be you're doing something right. And what you want to do with that information is continue to leverage those good practices. If there's something wrong, you, the sooner you know, the better it is for your company. The sooner you can uh, come up with solutions and uh, become a better um, organization. That's a really great example. And I hadn't thought about how vulnerable doing that initial survey might make company leaders feel. 
But if anything, the survey is a positive that allows you to see where your organization currently stands and where you might need to make improvement. Let's talk a little bit about what makes a company good for Hispanics when it comes to procurement. Yeah, I mean, the answer is going to be no surprise, really. It's it's more of the same. I mean, I think that particularly in procurement and in philanthropy, which we'll probably talk about a little later, it's that um, these are two areas where companies, well, I, I'd say that, that are newest um, in the diversity inclusion practices for companies. And so tracking at, you know, the racial and ethnic level um, is really still pretty new to these organizations. And so they don't have the metrics to determine who exactly they're doing business with, what impact uh, these contracts are having with the uh, Hispanic business community or within the larger Hispanic community overall. Uh, Plenty of studies have shown that, you know, the more you do business with uh, minority vendors, the larger the impact is within those communities because those vendors do take that money back into the community. They reinvest in their communities. Um, and so the, the impact is much larger. One of the things that we've heard um, several times throughout the years is you can't find qualified vendors. Um, and there are a variety of reasons why a company might be saying that. It might be industry specific. Um, there is actually a lack of, of diverse suppliers in certain industries like the tech industry um, or or other very specialized industries where minority vendors have not historically been a part of those industries. But I'd say, you know, there's a lot that companies can still do in order to uh, create a more diverse field of suppliers. Even in industries where there are very few suppliers, there are ways for companies to continue to engage the community to develop those suppliers. You can create supplier development programs where you bring up suppliers um, who are not at a place where, you know, you would traditionally uh, contract with a company, but you want to create that relationship and build a supplier that you can actually do business with. There are also financial incentives that you can provide to minority suppliers to help them do business with a company of your size. And financial incentives can be cash or, or monetary advances, but it can also be payment structure. Some companies pay their suppliers quarterly. Instead of paying them quarterly, paying, the, paying suppliers monthly could mean a huge difference on uh, who can do business with you. So those are some of the suggestions that we have for companies who participated with us and say that they can't find suppliers at this moment. Those are really practical steps. I, I appreciate that. And you mentioned early on in your answer um, the idea of philanthropy. So maybe let's let's talk a little bit about philanthropy too and, and what some learnings are there. Yeah, um, here, again, and I'm laughing because, you know, it's, it's pervasive and I think it's throughout, you know, all of the practices, uh, companies, they're really leaving uh, money and success on the table by not tracking these figures. And the same applies here in philanthropy, um, not knowing where your dollars are going or your philanthropic contributions, your volunteer hours um, does have an impact on how success is measured, how you continue to engage the community, what relationship you have with the community or what the perception of your company is within the community. So what we find from the survey uh, is that not many companies are tracking, you know, where their corporate or foundation dollars are going to with respect to communities in terms of whether that be the racial makeup or the ethnic makeup of the community. Um, and this is, you know, a tough one because I do understand where companies are coming from here. Philanthropy is one of those pillars where you're never really going to exactly know what 
the contribution is. You're, you're at best going to estimate. If you gave to an organization that does not have a specific racial or ethnic focus, um, then it's hard to determine who is being impacted. And so it's hard to track um, money that goes to individual communities through those organizations, but not impossible. There are ways to, to estimate what those contributions and impacts are um, using some simple formulas. And, and the importance of all this is that by tracking this information, by tracking how many dollars go to each community, how, how many hours, volunteer hours go to each community, you can track the impact, again, within that community and also determine what, what, what the relationship is with the Hispanic community and your organization and employee satisfaction. Studies have shown that employee satisfaction is closely tied to volunteer efforts and how much of a contribution um, the organization that they work for is making to the causes that are important to them. And that is actually even greater when you take into account things like uh, generation. Millennials and Gen Zers do place a higher value on um, social impact than did previous generations. And so that is something that I think companies should pay attention to, particularly if they're interested in retaining talent within their organization. That's a great point. I know stakeholders, including your, like you said, employees, people outside of companies now are focusing in on not just, you know, what companies are saying, but specifically where they're investing their time and even investing their employee time through these you know, volunteer days. Are you actually engaging with organizations that are empowering the Hispanic community? I think those are good questions to be thinking about. Um, I'd like to round out this conversation around, you know, what makes a company good for Hispanics by talking a little bit about governance. And we're going to spend our next episode talking a bit more in depth about governance, but would love to to hear from you a little bit about what makes companies good for Hispanics when it comes to governance. With governance, governance is closely tied to employment, at least in our eyes as an organization, because it's part of the talent pipeline. It's the one one end of the talent pipeline. So if you included entry-level employees and, and uh, interns in one end of the talent pipeline, you'd have the CEO and the C-suite on the, on the other end. And that, that would be your governance structure, including board members. So there, I think there are a couple of things that companies can certainly do that uh, would make their workplace a bit more welcoming to um, Hispanic talent and leadership. I think I, I'll say right here that also that a lot of these suggestions, I think, could apply to other communities because I think that tracking for example, as we've been um, talking about for the other pillars, is very important to do for all communities. We know pretty well what the makeup is of, uh, of diversity, particularly with Hispanics, um, for, for companies' governance. Your average board is comprised of 12 board members, uh, according to our data. On average, Hispanics hold 0.83 seats on that board. That means that Hispanics, on average, don't make up one person on the average board yet. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done. We're now at 18% of the US population and still don't make up 1% of, of the average board. And so there's a lot of improvement to be done there. The same goes for executive levels, um, those who are direct reports to the CEO um, and, and two levels below that. Um, there is better representation, certainly, but the pipeline can certainly be improved in order to make sure that there's enough talent um, to tap into when 
more executive leadership positions open up. That's super helpful. And I know we've spent a bit of time now talking about what makes companies good for Hispanics. I'd like to address the flip side of that question, which is knowing where companies sometimes miss the mark when it comes to their Hispanic employees or stakeholders. Yeah, no, I'd say it's certainly, you know, in that, in the trio of goal setting, uh, measuring and establishing benchmarks, you know, companies, because they don't, because they and we don't know where, where a lot of companies are in, in some of these areas, it's hard for us to really tell you what you're not doing right or wrong. Not measuring doesn't mean that you're not doing it um, or that you don't have good outcomes or that you, don't, you perhaps are, have a new practice or, or have an established practice that might be better than what we, we would predict with you know, what we would consider best practices. And so not measuring is really hurting not only internally your organization, but it's hurting the whole process in that we as an organization that is very invested in finding out where are the best practices and advising companies on how to improve in these areas, we're unable to tell um, those who are very interested in finding out how to improve. Um, But there are a lot of ways where companies can certainly make headway in in terms of improving uh, these factors. One is to leverage the expertise and knowledge of the stakeholders they currently have. If you're having an issue with retaining, recruiting Hispanic talent, talk to your ERGs. Have an honest conversation with your ERGs about what are some of the issues that Hispanic employees are facing within your companies? What may be some of the factors that may be preventing Hispanic talent from joining your company? Where should the company recruiters go to recruit uh, Hispanic interns if that's something that your company does? And also with supplier development, um, go to the suppliers or their associations. If you don't have enough suppliers represented in, in one of the categories, go to the uh, associations, ask them what are the challenges that these suppliers are facing and what, and what can you do as a company to help bring on more suppliers in these areas. Um, with communities, I would uh, engage community leaders uh, with, with your philanthropic efforts. Bring on community leadership onto meetings, decision-making and, and goal-setting meetings so that you know what exactly the community needs are and how to best help those communities. I certainly don't think that um, company leaders don't believe in, in a lot of this stuff. I've found for the most part they do. There, is, there seems to be a disconnect um, in what we call the leaky pipeline between leadership, top leadership at a company and, and everyone else. And bridging that gap is, is important in, in finding out solutions um, to these problems. And so uh, company leaders, including the CEO, being present and engaged in volunteer efforts, going to ERG meetings every once in a while. We know that these are very busy people, and so they're not going to be able to do that all the time. But um, an annual presence in an ERG meeting or in a volunteer effort would make a huge impact with the employees and communicating how important um, these efforts are to the organization. I do want to sort of pause and reflect on where we are in this current environment. We know you know, we are still in the midst of this pandemic on the one hand, and then we also have, on the other hand, the move for racial justice. What is it that we should be thinking about as far as you know, how the pandemic and how the racial justice movement really impact the way companies should be engaging with their Hispanic employees right now? Absolutely. Those are very important questions. And companies are 
are taking this on with respect to the racial justice justice movement um companies that have engaged us have told us that they have had um candid open meetings between leadership and their employees about what the employee concerns are and they are taking note of what can be done to bridge these gaps with racial inequity within their organization so i think that that will move forward where i think uh there there is a a big problem with hispanic representation in, in companies and and current issues is with the the current covid pandemic what our research this year has has found that of all hispanic employees 82% are non exempt and that means that 82% of of hispanic employees don't have uh benefits so uh health-wise that puts them at greater risk um to not being able to see a doctor to to having health disparities compared to other communities it also uh puts them in a position of of job insecurity non-exempt positions tend to be those um that go first and and research has shown recently that uh from the majority of employees that have lost their jobs they have been in non from non-exempt positions they're also the ones that are most at risk uh these are your service workers these are people who are doing jobs that put them in close contact with other people they're they're the folks who are walking um the store floors they're the ones stocking they're very close contact with the public so their jobs are at risk their their health is at risk at least in most cases there isn't a very clear bridge to tap into this talent pool and uh find a way to, for them to become leaders within the company and though there are instances there are stories of company of people who make it from an hourly position like janitor um cashier or or another position make it from that position all the way into the c suite there's there certainly are stories like that but there isn't a really clear established pathway for people who are interested and who would be very talented as well in in these positions to make it from those positions to to leadership positions and so i think that companies are missing an opportunity in tapping into 82% of their uh workforce i would also like to talk a bit about what the benefits are to companies to actually be good for hispanics i feel like you know some of this is part of the larger conversation we've had in the us around the importance of diversity and inclusion how that's good for business overall but would love to hear from you a little bit about the benefit of companies really engaging here and and digging deep to have meaningful engagements with their hispanic stakeholders absolutely it all comes down to market share um you know there are there are a lot of reasons why this is important a lot of reasons are intuitive to me and that are personal to me as a hispanic male in the united states I understand this at a, at a very personal level but when talking to executives the framework that I usually use is profit what you're what you're leaving as a company on the table is profit not engaging the community um not having more hispanic leaders in the decision making table prevents companies from finding new ways to solve problems finding out proper ways to implement solutions and developing new products and there are examples of this that are pretty famous now they you know take for example Richard Montañez um he uh was a janitor at PepsiCo and due to some a mishap with the assembly line or or their factory machines he was able to develop what is now known as flaming hot cheetos 
and Richard Montañez, he's not, he's not an exception. There are more, if more companies were to engage their Hispanic employees, engage the talent that they currently have within their four walls um, and those within the community, they would find that there are a lot of opportunities that could be opened up to them, not only in terms of the profit that they could be making, not only in terms of the increased employee satisfaction within their company, but also with their perception in the community as a company, as, as an entity which engages with them as customers, as, as uh, potential employees. And we always like to provide on this podcast recommendations to folks who are listening who are decision makers at their organization. So, you know, if our listeners are looking for a few helpful steps forward, what would those steps be that you would recommend they take? There are several things that companies can certainly do. First is understand that these are issues that should be tackled with a coordinated effort. They are not siloed. They shouldn't be only concentrated in in one department. But I think that this is something that should be part of the DNA of your organization. Every aspect of your organization, every employee has a role to play, um, I think. And so figuring out how to best do that and changing the culture so that that is a part of everyday business within your organization would be very helpful. But I think that, you know, what needs to happen in order to facilitate that is for there to be some serious buy-in from leadership. And again, as I said earlier, I, I haven't talked to any leadership that doesn't think that uh, diversity and inclusion is an important topic. But what I think there is, is a, is a, is a gap between uh, the leadership's intent and employees understanding what the leadership's position is in in these areas. And so more engagement between leaders and their employees, uh, leadership and the communities would be very helpful. I think also individual companies should be asking themselves whether or not uh, executives are participating enough as mentors and sponsors to up and coming talent. You know, some of the pipeline issues are as a result of a lack of, of access to very specific networks within an organization, networks which have traditionally been white and male. It's hard for other people who are not from those categories to access these networks. So opening those networks up just a bit to other folks would be tremendously helpful in helping to diversify the organization. The reporting level between executives, particularly those in the C-suite and employees responsible for diversity and inclusion is also, has also seemed to be important from our research. That is, does your chief diversity officer have access to the CEO? We know that uh, organizational tr- structures are, are very different and they're, they have evolved do, uh, in order to address very specific needs, but it is an indicator of how important the organization takes diversity and inclusion issues based on how, how easily a person like the chief diversity officer can access the, C, the, the CEO. We're not saying that the chief diversity officer needs to be a direct report, but that that person may need a dotted line relationship with the CEO so that if an issue arises that requires the CEO's attention, um, that person can go directly to, to the CEO in order to address it. And also whether or not bonuses are tied to diversity performance. Um, we have found that that is also an important issue. There was a recent interview of Melody Hobson, who is the co-CEO of Ariel Investments. And she said, you know, you get what you incent. 
Um, she's been in rooms full of CEOs and has asked, you know, do, is your bonus and, uh, and, and compensation tied to diversity performance? And she said almost no one raises their hand. Um, but on the other hand, if she asks if, if it's tied to profit, every, almost everyone does. And so her point in doing that is to, to communicate that until we see this issue, diversity and inclusion and equity, these issues as, as important as uh, company profits, uh, shareholder profits, then we're not going to see that much change here. She and, and many others, myself included, think that this issue needs to be taken as seriously as profits in order for companies to see real change, not only in the near future, but see change that is lasting for generations to come. Wonderful. Eric, thank you so much for joining us. I've, I've really appreciated this conversation and I feel like it was is really practical. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. Listeners, that's all we have time for this episode. We'll be back next episode to speak with Esther Aguilera from the Latino Corporate Directors Association about Latino representation within the boardroom. A trend that we're seeing is not just from legislators, but uh, companies should expect more scrutiny from shareholders asking about the racial and ethnic makeup of their board. So it is advisable to get ahead of this because the voices are increasing. That's next time on Future Fluency. For more resources and guest bios, check out the show notes or the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced by Bruno Falcon and edited by Bruno Falcon and Mark Williams-Holscher. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.